It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Scott and Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. Alright, so this week we are discussing uh, the movie Blade Runner, which came out in 1982 and directed by Ridley Scott. Um, as a general overview, uh, the movie is basically, it begins after a android uprising on a... Was it on a different on a moon or a different planet? Yeah, it's that's what it seems like um, to me. Is that there was, um, you know, they had put all these androids to work, kind of in various jobs, uh, especially doing dangerous like mining stuff on other planets, and they had kind of risen up. Yeah, the movie begins like right after that. You never get to see that. It's just like in a kind of a a title crawl at the beginning, kind of similar to Star Wars. It says, you know, there was this uprising, and now there's four or five of these uh, replicants, they call them, um, that have come back to Earth, back to L.A., I guess it is. And um, After having been kind of banned from Earth because of this really bloody uprising that had occurred right. earlier on. And then our hero, Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, is uh, in charge of finding them. And because apparently he was, at one time, a pretty um, popular or powerful or just really good, uh, what they call a blade runner, someone who would, you know, hunt these replicants down. Right, it's basically a special detectives unit, it seems like, that is entirely tasked with catching rogue uh, robots, basically, uh, replicants. Right. And that's the movie. I mean, that's the setup. And then the movie basically is uh, Deckard trying to hunt down these final replicants that have, um, that are now kind of going around and living amongst us. And there's, you know, there's a, a lots of goings on. And I don't really want to spoil it because um, it's really a movie worth watching. Not to skip to the very end of the podcast already, but um, I don't want to spoil too much of the story. But I mean, that's basically that's the setup. That's what goes on. Right, and it would be easy to spoil because it is um, it is a mystery uh, film. I mean, that's kind of how it's yes. structured. It's, it's structured very much, um, you know, along similar lines to a, a classic 1940s or 50s film noir style mystery. Um, yes. It's just, you know, set well, I'd say in the future. It's not that far into the future at this point. Um, no. <laughs> it's disappointingly close, because I don't think we're going to get there. No. Well, on the other hand, it's I'm, I'm kind of glad that that is not the future <laughs> that we are facing at this point either. Right. So, um, <laughs> there's parts of it that are really cool, but, yeah. uh, you know, all of the nuclear fallout and whatnot, yeah. I'm not, yeah. as, not as sold on. So, um, that said, we are probably, as with most of, most of our reviews, we are more than likely going to hit on some spoilers in this particular review. This one is probably going to spoil it a little bit more because it is a mystery and we may give away some of the uh, the secrets of it because that's some of what makes this movie so fascinating. So, so um, maybe we should maybe on that note maybe we should just jump to the end right now, mm-hmm. give our recommendation and why we're going to recommend it, and then we'll get into some of the cool stuff. Um, that way, if someone wants to, hasn't seen it and they want to know why they should watch it, they can turn off the podcast and come back later, or you know get spoiled. Right. That sounds good to me. So uh, my recommendation is that this movie is incredibly much worth watching. It's um, it's a fantastic movie that has um, some fantastic visual effects in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it creates an incredibly believable world. Um, it's uh, it's it's an 
very uh, philosophical sort of story going on um, with a, a couple of uh, you know decent action pieces in it. Um, it's slow moving, but in a in a really good sort of way, um, and and it really is. I would say one of the top classics in the sci-fi genre. So definitely worth watching. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. I would say go rent it. Um, if you're at Best Buy tomorrow and you see it in the bargain bin or you're at Walmart and you see it in the bargain bin, just go ahead and buy it now mm-hmm. because you're, I think it's definitely worth watching. If you're any kind of fan of the genre of, of sci-fi, um, this is a movie that you have to see. Mm-hmm. It's, so much current sci-fi comes from this movie, whether it's the aesthetic or it's the the um, the philosophical side of things. So much of it comes from this movie, and it's directed by Ridley Scott, who um, I don't know if he's ever directed a bad movie. He's directed movies I haven't liked, but he always does a good job. You know? mm-hmm. um, it's Harrison Ford in his prime. This is like right between uh, an Indiana Jones movie and a Star Wars movie when he filmed this. This is just a really solid movie that you need to go see. Mm-hmm. So, now uh, my my one caveat to that is if you are renting it or buying it, um, make sure that you get the recently released final cut of the movie. There's yes. about 300, it seems like, different versions of it. There's, there's, <laughs> there's at least like three different versions of this movie floating around um, here in the U.S. Um, some of them say that they are the director's cut. Some of them are the original theatrical cut. Yes. Get the recently released, it's been within the last couple, two, three years... It's called uh, the, the five-disc complete collector's edition. Right. It's the final cut, um, yeah. and this is definitely the preferred version to watch. Um, Absolutely. You know, you, if you're renting, you'll probably be able to just get the movie disc of it. Um, you know, if, if you get the complete set, it actually has all of the different versions of the movies, and there's a whole lot of politics and stuff as to why all of these movies got released in the different yeah. ways um, they did because of the way things were financed and who the producers were and stuff. doesn't really matter. Watch the newest version. It, it really is the best of them all. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Okay, so with all that behind us, we can, we can venture into my slightly more spoilery territory. So if you haven't seen it and you, you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead, come back to this part of the podcast later. Um, if you don't care, uh, we'll venture forward and if you've already seen the movie you can kind of join in on this conversation um so where shall we begin first (laughs) (laughs) sure let's uh, you know let's just touch on that real quick Uh, you know this this movie is based on a philip k dick sci-fi novel called do androids dream of electric sheep um which is really different than the movie um it's it's a similar world it has similar themes um it, it even shares some of the same characters in a few places, uh, but it's it's different. <laughs> it's a very different story set. They're both very much, again, worth your time. Um, just don't expect to retread the movie if you read the book, and don't expect you know the, the movie to retread the book. You know, they're, they're not the same thing. Um, I've never read the book, but I've read about the book. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they seem very, very different as far as a s- actual story goes, but like you said, general content and tone and themes seem to be cons- generally consistent. Mm-hmm. So, um, that said, uh, the big reasons that Blade Runner works, uh, it has several really good things working for it. Uh, um, the, the biggest of which, I would say, is that it really took um, the, the sci-fi genre seriously. Um, right. 
it is, you know, there had been movies that, that definitely did sci-fi um, in a more serious way. Uh, you know, you have like The Day the Earth Stood Still and, and uh, you know, Metropolis and, and several movies like that that came out, you know, over the years beforehand. But, you know, I think that in general sci-fi has a, uh, you know, a connotation of, of being kind of, you know, Buck Rogers of the 21st century. Right. And, and it, you know, Star Wars even. You know, it's, it's very much right. laser blasters and, you know, this isn't Star Wars. This isn't even Star Trek. Which, and I know Star Trek could be arguably a more more literal, more serious sci-fi. But this is even more so than that. Where this actually presents a world that you recognize when you see the the, the different layers of the city. You kind of recognize that and go, "That seems like the kind of world mm-hmm. we would have. We might have all this great technology. We might have all these great advances. However." I don't know if crime's ever going to go away. I don't know if pollution's ever going to go away. This this is definitely a world, I mean, you don't get a single spaceship battle in it. And, uh, you know, the most advanced technology that makes it look um, futuristic is that they have flying cars. I right. Mean, this is this is their huge advancement is that they have flying cars. Yeah, and that's and that's really true. I mean, at the beginning they talk about this off-world activity, but you never even see a spaceship. You don't even see a spaceship land. No, you see you, you know. see flying billboards and you see flying cards or cars. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a very um, you know it's a very serious you know what will the future look like kind of take on it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that said, it, it does appear to be kind of a, a post-apocalyptic world. There, you know, there are fires, and there are, um, you know, it, it seems like there have been major issues on Earth coming up to this. But it feels very organic, and, and yeah. you know, the way it might be if if there I mean, were serious issues on Earth. And- yeah, if nothing else, I would say in this world, the Earth is in trouble, and you have the same kind of. Uh, visual cue that you see later on in the movie The Fifth Element, where it looks like people are trying to build themselves houses above the pollution level. Mm -hmm. And so you have the poor uh, living down on this street level, which is just dark and always raining, possibly acid rain. And then you have this other level where the the buildings have um, kind of broken through that clouds and they actually get the sun. (laughs) It... um you know, it also is uh, very fascinating how much um, Japanese, you know, Asian influence there is in this. You know, which which seems very absolutely um, very modern still today. I mean, that's that's very much a you know in our technology and, and in our culture, we're definitely having major uh, you know Asian influences in it. And, and I think that you know that was very apparent in Ridley Scott's design of this film. And, and maybe that's the best thing to say about it is it's a very designed film. Yes. Um, you know, everything in it is intentional to create this world. And, and that is one of its biggest strengths is just how uh, oh, absolutely. remarkably I mean, real everything feels. Because of how grounded everything is, because of how well thought out everything is, when he pulls up a photograph, he, there's, a photo, there's a sequence where he pulls up a photograph and he is able to, you know, zoom in to a spectacular degree and keep absolute resolution. You kind of believe it. You believe in this future world. He has that technology because everything else is so grounded. Um, it's, 
it's one of the few times in a movie or a TV show or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see it all the time in CSI. You know, can you enhance the photos? <laughs> Zoom in, Zoom, enhance, and, sharpen, <laughs> and, and, and and it's completely unbelievable. This yeah. is one of the few movies where you go, you know what? I bet at this point they have that technology because yeah. because it's in the future. And you know what? People have probably seen enough of those movies where they go enhance that somebody actually made the technology. <laughs> right. Someone watched CSI so many times they went, hey, we should design that. We should actually make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's it's a very plausible sort of world. And uh, yeah, I'm like, like even the guns that he's like he's a police officer, he's a detective, he carries a gun, but it's not even a laser gun. I mean, we don't they don't go into that side of you know sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's uh, definitely one of the other great things about it is that um, you know it isn't it isn't. Uh, you know, shoot 'em up sci-fi. It is very much you know in that hard genre. Um, you know, like a Isaac Asimov story, or yeah, or, or, or Philip K. Dick's own writing, or you know the Orson Scott Card's Enderverse, or something where absolutely where absolutely. it's 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 much more than fantasy with rivets and you know metal and and that sort of thing. It's it's a recognizable world that gives us a chance to explore these really deep philosophical and moral questions. Oh, you're, you absolutely right. And, um, I always kind of, I've always said there's two types of sci-fi. There's that sheer spectacle, which is a lot of fun movies like star Wars. Um, and then there's the sci-fi that kind of explores, explores like a social issue. And this kind of, this movie kind of straddles that line while kind of leaning probably closer to the social, um, aspects of life. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just really, really fascinating the way they're able to kind of um, pull that off. And I'm sorry that sentence completely got away from me, and I just blanked out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that comment at all. <laughs> well, uh, you know, but it's well. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, nope, it's gone. It's all gone. right. Well, um, the other thing that this movie does is into this really great world, it also combines this uh, film noir mystery style um, that is just really fantastic. Um, you know, it's it's a dark world. That it, it, you know, it, it feels like the same sort of world that um, Humphrey Bogart would have been in. You know, it, he could live in it. Yes, and, and investigate the uh, the Maltese Falcon or or the Big Sleep or something right, like that. Right. That's exactly what I was going to say when you started talking about Orson Scott Card. It reminded me the sci-fi is almost in the background. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could almost tweet this, just change a couple lines of dialogue here or there, and this movie could be about Deckard uh, hunting down Nazi sympathizers. It could be, it could be a set almost in any time in any place. Um, because they don't get into the really crazy sci-fi aspects of it, but they use uh, robots and androids and science fiction to explore ideas that are relevant to us today. The same way Orson Scott Card does in Ender's Game. The same way, um, you know, other you know things like movies like Children of Men, which I absolutely adore, where they take a science they take science fiction and they kind of push it into the background just enough that the characters are what you are focusing on. Mm-hmm. It's the story, it's the world, it's the people, and that's. To me, just fascinating and fantastic. Exactly. Um, so uh, you know, that's a lot of it's uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff for a movie to have in it. I mean, it's it's definitely yeah. deeper than your average bear, uh, is what I would say. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it so some of the themes of this film. I mean, it, it it the things that you're 
the questions that it raises. I mean, you have you have things. You know, what does it mean to be human? <laughs> what makes a person a person? Yeah. Um, you know, if you have limited time left in your life. Uh, which, you know, the way time works, we all do in our own ways, but what are you going to do with that amount of time that you have? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know... Uh, Sorry, you, nobody, you can't ask that question without me thinking of Gandalf. I apologize. <laughs> I had a little moment there of going, oh, oh Gandalf. Oh, sorry, go on, yes. <laughs> yes. You, know, uh, you know, what does it mean to be God or, you know, people yeah. playing God or... And then the relationship the created have with that creator... And, you know, and maybe uh, something that's at the heart of, of, I would say, most of Philip K. Dick's writing. I mean, this is kind of one of his, his central concepts, but, you know, uh, what is reality? Um, you know, that's, that's a hard one, because, you know, we, we all experience what we assume reality to be, but what is reality, really? And, uh, I mean, right. these, these are deep things that, that uh, you know, for a two, three-hour movie to... Uh, to explore, but it, it does yeah. all of them handily and really raises a lot of questions and get you gets you thinking. Yeah, and uh, going back to the idea of this movie being designed, you can see that like, every character brings out a different aspect of this conversation. Like very specifically, Rachel brings out um, the character of Rachel played by Sean Young. She's kind of the We've at first glance she appears really just to be a love interest for Deckard, but once that relationship starts being explored, you realize that she is a replicant. Mm-hmm. Um, she is one of these androids that he's supposed to be looking for, and she had no idea that she was. And she had no idea because she she has memories of a childhood. She has um, a personality. She has feelings and emotions and uh, opinions and all of these things and. You know, Deckard kind of says, yeah, but you don't, what you're failing to recognize is that um, the Nexus 7, which is the model that you are, Nexus 6. Was, Nexus 6, sorry. Uh, you were designed to have those things. You were given the memories of the, you know, the creator, your creator, uh, what's his name? Is it Tyrell. Tyrell. Yes. Tyrell took the memories of his daughter and gave them to you so that you would remember these things, so you would think the same way his daughter would think, or, you know, and. And then you go, wow, that's uh, that's a fascinating thing. And then all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, that's all I have. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I have these memories. Who's to say I w- wasn't turned on in a factory yesterday with 30 years of memories planted in me? That's the kind of thing all of a sudden this character Rachel brings out. And then all of a sudden you start questioning everybody in the movie, going, well, then really anybody in the movie could be one of these robots. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's uh, going back to this whole concept of, you know, the sci-fi as we know it today would not exist without this movie. I mean, yeah. you know, that's <laughs> that's uh, the Matrix right there. That's, um, <laughs> that's the Matrix. That's uh, the new Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I mean, that's that is sci-fi in the world today. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, these are the this is where it all came from. It's it's part of why this is this movie is on this list. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mean, there's more I could say, but I mean, that really sums it up for me. I mean, it's, yeah, it's that, there, there, there's so much there. I would say going into this, like as, as deep and rich as it is, it's really a movie you have to sit down and just kind of, uh, devote yourself to, because while it has all of this, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about takes place almost in the background. It's true. 
you know, they don't sit around and discuss these things the way we're discussing them now. They don't go, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because in this world, everybody kind of knows this already, and so nobody has to say it. Mm-hmm. It's just the way they treat each other. It's the way he looks at each other. It's the way um, he reacts to certain things. And you start to go, you have to kind of ask yourself, well, why would he do that? What's going on here? What's going on there? Um, to start to see some of this stuff. And this movie is a much... I've seen it, I don't know how many times now, but every time I sit down and watch it, I always forget how slow and how quiet this movie is. It's a very introspective movie. I mean, it's the movie goes by pretty quickly because there's always something happening. Every scene has a purpose. Everything progresses the story. But those scenes might ha- not have any dialogue because it's just Deckard by himself sitting in his apartment. Mm-hmm. Or it's just, you know this girl walking through garbage and then up into an apartment building and you're like, why is she doing this? What's going on? You have to just kind of wait, listen, and watch. Yeah, it's definitely a, a slower-paced film, you know, and then you have um, Vangelis's, uh score for it, which is, uh, you know, very ethereal and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, the whole movie um, has this feel almost like a dream to it. That, yes. that it kind of creates and uh, I mean I watched it the, the very first time I ever watched it was uh, when I was in uh, high school and um, I saw it with a group of guys and uh, one of our teachers uh, late at night I mean it, we probably started it at like one or two in the morning and <laughs> and it definitely has this element of being a waking dream uh, which which definitely plays into all of its questions you know i mean yep. you know as to what is reality and what does it mean to be human and and stuff but i mean it's it's very slow paced very um you know things unfold in their own time which is not to say it's boring or or slow not, not at all it, it's it just it just moves at its own rhythm yeah. um, and if you can kind of buy into that it's it's incredibly worth it yes i would absolutely agree um, um yeah, I mean, as a comparison, I would almost... <laughs> the only other movie that I can kind of think of that it reminds me of as far as the way it slowly takes its time to unfold um, is the first Alien movie, which, oddly enough, was also directed by Ridley Scott. But when you go into that alien, that first Alien movie, you're told it's a sci-fi horror film, and it doesn't get horrific for a solid hour, mm-hmm. almost. Same with this movie. It's like you're going in and going, oh, it's a sci-fi movie. And while, yes, the visuals you're seeing are sci-fi, there's not a lot going on necessarily. There's not necessarily something where you're going, oh, this is why I sat down to watch this movie. This movie's amazing. It's not, you really, it's a movie that has to be digested after the credits start rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the sort of movie where you watch it and you, you kind of think, man, so much could have gone wrong in making this movie. Yeah. Um, and yet... And yet there's almost nothing wrong with it. You know, uh, every actor... I mean, it has Rutger Hauer in it, who is you know pretty much known for all of the, the B-movies that he's been in. All the B-movies and this. <laughs> and then this. And he's fantastic. I mean, his, his role in this... Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you completely buy into him. And by his final scene in it with, on the rooftop with Deckard, I mean, yes. it's, I was- it's, it's hugely emotional. It's, yeah, it's and I was going to say we can't end this podcast without talking about his character, Roy Batty, mm-hmm. because what's so interesting to me is that in that final confrontation, it's like a 10-minute fight almost, and um, 
it's I don't think it's the kind of fight that you would see today. Style has changed so much because um, the, our main character never says anything. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like it's this ten minute showdown where our hero only reacts. He only just watches Roy go absolutely crazy, and Roy is throwing things at him. He's you know punching him through the wall. He's doing all of these things. There's this final big fight on the top of a roof and at this point you've decided this guy is completely crazy he's a robot who's malfunctioning and he needs to be put down and then he has this final moment where he kind of re recollects um or kind of recalls i should say uh, his memories of what happened in that uprising that we never saw and it breaks your heart and all of a sudden he's completely human again mm-hmm. and it's just really quite astounding and it it definitely when he finally dies, you just it leaves you with something that um, carries you through the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's 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 just a very very emotional sequence. Yeah, it's um, and that's kind of what this movie does to you. Is it it sets you up kind of one way and then twists things around on you so that you have to to reexamine what you were thinking to begin with. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I, I think maybe the most. Uh, maybe the most famous and controversial of all of those is, uh, you know, it's, it starts you off right at the very beginning that there's this group called Blade Runners and that they hunt replicants. Yeah. And then they introduce you, you know, very, well, I, I say very shortly. I mean, you have a couple other sequences beforehand, but pretty, pretty quickly to Harrison Ford's character. And he's introduced as like the best Blade Runner of them all, uh, who has to come back for one more job. And, uh, by the end of the movie, you're questioning whether he is human or a replicant. I mean, this is... It's 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 the big question of the movie. It is, except I have to admit, I wouldn't have that question in my mind if I hadn't heard it before I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I, I, ha- I do have to cop to that, because when you watch the movie, there is only one moment that really ever... Well, there's two moments. There's two moments that only ever hint at something going on with Deckard. Mm-hmm. One is he has this crazy, completely out-of-place dream. Um, he's, I guess it's a dream. It's either a dream or a memory. He's in his apartment, he's playing with a piano, and you start to see this vision of a unicorn running through a forest. And it's so out-of-place that you go, well, it has to mean something, mm-hmm. right? Why would he have this vision in this movie that is so meticulous and everything else? Why would this little sequence take place? Mm-hmm. And it should be noted that he is having this vision while he is flipping through um, this series of photos that he has with him. Yes. Um, which is kind of a... The, the photo motif um, is kind of a recurring theme for replicant characters in this movie. Um, they all have collections of their memories kind of in photo right. form. Right. And so... It's, it's, so a, it's an interesting thing that this vision occurs while he has this... Right. While he's looking at these photos and he's, you know, in his own home playing on his piano. So, right. Yeah, so you have that. And at the very end of the movie, you know, you have the Edward James Almost character. You see him throughout the movie. He's always playing with these little origami things. And he leaves him a unicorn. It could, you know, and you could go, well, that's just coincidence. Or maybe he knows that he's seeing a vision of the unicorn because maybe Edward James Almost is also a replicant. Or maybe he knows something about... Mm -hmm. 
You know, maybe he's his controller here on Earth. You know, maybe he knows that he's a yeah. replicant and he's so you, the one to, you know, keep him in line or whatever. Right, so you have that. And then the other thing that kind of tips the balance towards him possibly being a replicant is that there is a visual motif that goes through the whole movie. And that is anything that is not human at one point in the movie is lit in such a way that their eyes actually reflect or refract um, light back towards the camera in this really weird, creepy way. Um, and I noticed it fairly early on because, like, the first, you know, you see it with uh, Roy, you see it with Sean. Um, uh, Sean, I mean, I'm sorry. You see it with Roy, you see it with Rachel. And then you see it with the owl, you see mm-hmm. it with the snake. Um, and then there's one sh- short shot of... Deckard walking through his apartment and his eye does the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the way it's done in the movie, it's like it's not supposed to be anything necessarily. It's not like it's, it's not it's, it's not a special effect going, oh look, he has fake eyes. And it's you but, know, it's not a it's not a moment where you're expecting a reveal of any sort or anything. Right. It's and just, it, it's just a moment where he walks through a he walks through a basically a, a thing of light and you see this thing, and it's just something that you can tell Ridley Scott very specifically said, I'm only ever going to do that to people or things that are, you know, fake, that aren't human, that are robots or whatever. And so when you see that happen to him, you go, well, hold on, why would he do that to him if he's only doing it to all of these other replicants? Mm -hmm. That being said, I don't like the idea of him being a replicant. (laughs) Well, and this is a very interesting part. Uh, You know, and part of the reason that this exists is because there have been so many versions of the film. Um, and, you know, some of them tried to explain away that he isn't, you know, there's, there's a version that has all kinds of narration from Harrison Ford that, you know, uh, tries to go down the path that he really isn't a replicant. Uh, and then there's Ridley Scott's version, which makes it much more, uh, obvious, I think that he is. Uh, and then when you actually start watching any of the documentaries or what people have said, you know, this is where it gets very tricky because, uh, you know, I think Ridley Scott is pretty emphatic that he really does think that Deckard was a replicant and that's how he made it. And then you have Harrison Ford who says that, you know, he fought back against Ridley during the entire production and wanted him to be human because he, and he played him as human. And he, um, he said he has to be human because that's the audience's, connection to this movie if he's not human then who do they have you know as humans to to root for in this movie right and then you have rutger hauer in a fairly more recent interview when he heard about this controversy he said well he has to be human because one of the major themes of this movie is man versus machine specifically Mm -hmm. our final fight is a man versus machine fight if it's two robots fighting how is that interesting I don't think he was really trying to direct that towards Michael Bay in any way. I just think it was, <laughs> you know, he, he was going, you know, this, there's a deeper theme here. There is, you know, it's man versus machine. It's creator versus created. And mm-hmm. and so all of this, uh, you know, it's, it's, in some ways, it is the unanswered question of the movie. You know, I think, I think depending who you talk to, I mean, and who you take at their word, I mean, if you believe that the director is the final say on it, (laughs) then, uh, you know, then you have to go down the path that he's definitely a replicant. If you think that the actor who portrayed him is, is, is the, uh, the voice then Harrison Ford, uh, says he isn't. And if you listen to, you know, anybody else on the cast or crew or really anyone who has any form of opinion whatsoever, uh, you know, everyone has their own interpretation of it. 
And, and I do have to admit, what I love about this conversation is that this is the point of the movie. Exactly. You know, it's like, Ridley Scott, almost, I almost hope, I would wish that Ridley Scott, I mean, he has gone record saying he thinks he's a replicant. I wish he hadn't. Yes. Because Harrison Ford playing the character like a human is exactly what a replicant would do. A replicant would go into it going, no, I'm a human. I'm a human. I have to be human because I have these things. You know, and so it's like, that would be kind of perfect. That's actually exactly what your character would do regardless. And, and it's fascinating that this is the discussion because, you know, part of the point of, of the movie is, you know, what does it, does it matter that someone's a replicant or not? Or does it, you know, it's, it's, this is why it's a fantastic movie is this discussion right here, because yeah. it's, it's, it's the question that really digs into your mind and really makes you start thinking. Um, and, uh, you know, this is not the sort of movie that you're going to walk into and walk out of and forget 15 minutes later. It's, you know, it's not a popcorn flick. It has, it has way too much depth and, uh, uh, you know, philosophy in it. So if you're, look, like, yeah. so if you're looking like for a popcorn flick, this is not the movie for you. No. But no. otherwise, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, and just like you said, it's, it's, it's just like a dream that sticks with you, it will kind of haunt you. You'll have certain images that will stick with you for a while, whether it's the the snake or it's the woman falling through the window or it's that that last little soliloquy that Roy Batty delivers as he dies. Mm -hmm. You're going to have something that kind of sticks with you for a little while and you're going to kind of replay that. Or you're going to... There's one scene in here when Roy kills um, Tyrell. Oh, it, 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 it... I, I, I still get squeamish when I watch that. I mean, it is so, the way they shot it, the way it, it it's just so horrible mm -hmm. that I just went, oh, that's right. I knew that was coming. And I still, ugh. Kelly looked over at me and just kind of laughed because I was, you know, just kind of turning in on myself while I was watching that scene. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a movie that'll, that will stick with you. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's movies on this list. Um, of AFI Top 100. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how they put them in order. Um, I, this is one of those that I could see being higher on the list, at least for me. Yeah. Um, you know, if I was putting my Top 100 together, I think this one would rank probably much higher than it does uh, on this list. But, um, yeah. it's, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I can't I say that enough. Without really putting a whole lot of thought into it, as I look at the at the twenties, mm -hmm. if you go if you go up this list of one hundred, I feel like it should almost be in that twenty area. That's where it's when you look at the movies that are from twenty through thirty, it seems to compare to some of those. I would almost like I'd like to see it next to Chinatown or E. T. or High Noon. Exactly, you know, it's it feels in more that. like one of those movies as opposed to. No offense, but it doesn't feel like Yankee Doodle Dandy. Exactly. It's this is kind of the polar opposite of that movie, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's anyhow. Uh, I guess we could do a in summary. I know we we started the podcast with a summary, and so it kind of leaves us at a loose end here. But I, again, for me, you know, my summary would be that it's a brilliant film with some amazing philosophy and just yep. brilliant filmmaking that i mean it it goes down to levels of detail and planning that are just minuscule and uh you know it really shows off 
Ridley Scott as a director. Yep. Uh, the actors, uh, you could argue, most of them have never been better than they are in this movie. And, yep. um, you know, just, just really everything about it is, is fantastic. The only actor that I can honestly say I have seen do better is Edward James Olmos, just for what he did in Battlestar Galactica. He made me yes. laugh and cry and root for him and get angry at him. The things that he did in that show were so, you know, bleeping phenomenal that mm-hmm. it's like the, he's the only person I saw start here and get better. <laughs> you know, that, that said, he only really had like three scenes in this movie where he barely yeah. does anything. Right. Um, you know, and at the same time, I think it is pretty amazing how memorable of a character he is in that short amount of screen time that he he's has just in here. creepy and weird. Like he just kind of hangs out and he says, he has, he says these little sentences and phrases. You're just like, who is this guy? Why? Is, yeah, you know why he's there, but you always kind of go like, can he leave? You feel like you're in the room with him going, Go away. <laughs> um, the other guy that stands out to me is that uh, character actor whose name eludes me, but he was on Deadwood, and um, oh um, yes, he, he plays uh, he plays the guy that the, the inventor the, in here the yeah. makes all the automatons and everything. Yeah, yeah. I saw him. I was like, "Hey, Deadwood, I like you." <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, um, yes. As a as a wrap up. Uh, definitely. If you're, I mean, if you're a fan of film history, if you're a fan of uh, sci-fi films, if you're a fan of Harrison Ford, if you're a fan of uh, Ridley Scott, if you're a fan if, of film noir, I mean, if you're a fan of film noir, if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactica, if you're a fan of, you know, really, if you just, if you enjoy a good movie, this is a good movie. This is something that is great to, on a Wednesday night, you come home, you have dinner, you know, whatever, sit back, enjoy a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good movie to watch by yourself or watch with a small group of, you know, like-minded individuals um, to kind of, and then afterwards being able to have that conversation. I mean, that to me, that would almost, that would, it would be almost wrong to watch this movie in a setting where you couldn't talk about it afterwards. Exactly. But I mean, I would definitely hunt it down on Netflix or on <clears throat> your local rental facility, whatever it is you use nowadays. But I would definitely agree with what uh, Lauren said at the beginning, is make sure you find the final cut. This is one of those times, again, where I absolutely approve of the director going back and fixing something that's broken. Um, Because it wasn't necessarily broken, there was just a lot of people trying to make it a movie that it just did not set out to be. Much like Brazil and other movies that you see where the studio doesn't get it and says, we need to give um, middle America a movie they understand mm-hmm. where they kind of and and that is one of the beautiful things about uh, just just dump, jumping into the uh, the concept of the restoration of this movie yeah the final cut is uh, there's very little that's changed in it I mean it's yeah. it's it's mainly taking they drop some, a couple of the other cuts of the movie dropping um Dropping the narration, and he did reshoot that one sequence. Yes, there, there was a reshooting of one sequence. A couple of the visual effects have been cleaned up, not in a George Lucas-style way, but more like they removed visible wires from did, from one of the flying cars. You know, that sort of thing. He add a Jar Jar Binks. They yes. can go back and go, you know what, I always had this character in mind, and yeah. I'm going to add him now. Harrison Ford does not step on Jabba's tail. You know, no. this, this does not happen it's in this movie. Different Harrison Ford. And, more importantly, if you do get the full set of these movies... It has every cut of the film in it, all of the major releases of it. If, for some reason, you do not like the new final cut, it has the version with the narration 
yep. um, that Ridley Scott never approved of. It has, um, you know, the international cut that was longer than the the U.S. version because they were able to put a little more blood and guts and stuff into it. It's, uh, you know, it has all of these different versions um, that you can see and compare and contrast and pick what you think the best one is. And so it's it's uh, it's kind of the opposite of the George Lucas way of, of going. It, it, <laughs> it, um, it's, it's a redone, cleaned up movie done right. You know, yeah. I'd, I'd compare it more to the way that uh, Peter Jackson did extended versions of Lord of the Rings movies, yeah. where he went through and said, you know what, we shot all of this extra stuff, we didn't have time for it in the theatrical cut, or maybe there was a better way of telling it, you know what, we're going to do our yeah. extended version. And that's really what Ridley Scott has done here. Yeah, I mean, I love, the, I, mean, I love the Star Wars movies, I grew up on them, but you know, George Lucas kind of went back and said, I never liked the technology at the time. I want to remake Star Wars is basically what he kept, what he's kept doing is adding scenes that he had in mind or effects that he wanted to pull off, but couldn't. And Ridley Scott hasn't done that. He hasn't gone, well, you know, in this world, there's also this other thing that I've never, I wanted to show, but we couldn't, that's not there. He's taken the movie and kept it as it has always been, but you know, cleaned up a few little things. He, like I said, he did reshoot one little sequence where a woman kind of falls through a plate glass window because he didn't like the effect at the time. I think they were rushed, and it just he didn't like the way it looked, and so he recreated it. But, I mean, it's actually really completely unnoticeable. If we hadn't said it, if I hadn't heard about it, you wouldn't notice it. It's not like anything glaring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, yeah, I mean, basically, you just you, you can't see the, the effect that goes on now. You know, it's, right. it's, it's very minor changes, and if you are a purist... Again, the other versions are available to you. Um, yeah, but if, you ha- if you've seen this before, if you saw this one sleepy night in college and you've never revisited it, uh, but you like it, I would say go out and buy that five disc edition. If you remember liking it, it's really worth having in your collection to rewatch. There's some fantastic documentaries, a huge documentary plus a couple small little snippet things that are all really just worth your time if you and want to get into the behind the scenes stuff, which is. A really fascinating thing, because they even do talk about the different issues with the release and some of the politics that was going on. It's it's a very honest behind the scenes, yep. um, and is almost its own little uh, education in the way that film uh, production and releasing works. And it's it's just a fascinating look at a hugely political process. And uh, you know, I would highly recommend it if you're interested in the industry. It's a it's, yep. it's one of the best documentaries about a film that you actually care maybe about seeing. <laughs> right. Um, that actually goes way deeper than most behind-the-scenes documentaries ever. Yeah, seen. it's not just some guy. It's not the actor talking about what a privilege it is to play this character. It's not some woman actress talking about how finally women are getting to play this part. It's not the same documentary you've seen on every DVD you've bought in the past 15 years. It is a true documentary. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, that is Blade Runner. <laughs> yes. And uh, next week, uh, we'll discuss number 96 on AFI's Top 100, a Spike Lee joint called Do the Right Thing. You've been listening to Movies You Should Love. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 